Okay, good evening everyone. I'm broadcasting live July 4th. July 4th, the day when Americans blow stuff up. Speaking of blowing things up. What are these people doing, no? Explosions hit Medina, Katif, and Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. Some people celebrate their holy days by blowing other people up. Some people who do that. back to doing the news no commenting on the news buddhist news it's funny how the last uh, there's this article on reuters uh, and the last sentence is they have no religion some cleric in saudi arabia condemning the attacks, which is a great thing, great that he's condemning them, saying this isn't our Islam, saying that Islam isn't about blowing people up, isn't about killing, they can say that is great. But to say that these people have no religion is, I don't know. I think I can understand what everyone's saying when they say this, but it doesn't make much sense to me. Religious people can can interpret their religion or even read literally their religion. For the evil that is there, I mean, there's evil in in many religions. If you if you interpret it literally, you know, of course you can interpret these things as we've talked about. I don't want to go into too much detail, but I think it's going too far to say these people had no religion because it um, it denies the role that religion and religious texts play. To say that the Quran had nothing to do and the Hadith had nothing to do, Hadith, Hadith, had nothing to do with these attacks is pretty absurd. So we have to acknowledge, I think, that Yes, these books talk about killing infidels, which you know, to these people means anybody who doesn't belong to our sect of Islam. So uh, we have to acknowledge that, I think. Otherwise, we... Uh, I don't know. I mean, people make the argument that saying that this isn't true religion, God would never... God would never sanction such things. I mean, I don't know how effective that is. Maybe it's effective. Maybe it's like this uh, arguing over who is a true Scotsman. Maybe it works in the end. If you say you're not a true Muslim, if you kill people. The problem is the books tell the Quran, the, the Torah, 
I don't know about the New Test about the New Testament, but the Jews and the Muslims are pretty awful, and their God, you know, you'll read the the Torah. The Torah has uh, has God Himself doing most of the killing in the in the Torah. It's done by God, and horrific killing at that. Know, painful, torturous <laughs> killing of innocents. Well, yeah, killing of children, that kind of thing. So I don't know what's up. People are killing each other still, killing each other everywhere, killing each other in Florida, even. The U.S. with all their guns has problems. And the Middle East, with all their religion, has problems. Too much religion, probably. The religions probably should just die. Maybe that's probably the way. You know, the way forward is just to stop being so so religious. You know, either that or become Buddhist. What else is happening in the news? People are arguing over gay pride and black pride, or gay lives and black lives. Something like that um, in Toronto. You know, these people who are afraid to be who they are. Afraid to be who they are. You know, very reasonably afraid. I'm not criticizing people who have been driven to fear by these uh, terrible deeds because they're gay or because they're black. Not much to say except that, well, about how horrific it is, but interesting as well as um, a little bit of how much how the how much ego it gives, like. I'd maybe want to naively suggest that the way forward is not this, that the way forward is to give up our identity as I am gay or I am black. You know, when we stop with labels, it's kind of ridiculous at this day and age to be calling each other black and white, even gay and straight, starting to get a little bit silly doesn't define who you are, right? Especially not from a Buddhist perspective. Who you are, who are you? Who you are is nothing more than a chaotic aggregate of physical and mental qualities of experience, the knowing and the known, there is no I, there is no identity, calling yourself black is as silly as calling yourself a shoe, it doesn't have any consequence, it doesn't have any meaning, and I understand, I think there's more to it than that, and this, honestly it's this pride, you know, it's not about being proud, it's about uh, overcoming the fear. You know? 
fighting back against the fear and the terrorism, because that's what it is. They're being terrorized by people who are mostly following religion, you know. I don't know what the black people, black-white situation, but the gay situation is mostly about religion. Homosexuality, you could argue there's some revulsion from a Darwinian evolutionary perspective, because it, you know, it does hurt the survival of the species, one could argue. But for the most part, it's just religious. It's just my religion tells me homosexuality is wrong. My first teacher even tried to say that Buddhism says that homosexuality is wrong. He was trying to get his meditators to not be homosexual, which is probably possible, but it's a little bit misguided, personally. We're sending spacecrafts to Jupiter. Lots of interesting Baghdad attacks, lots of bombing, but killing each other. Could you imagine a bomb going off, walking down the street and suddenly be hit with shrapnel from a bomb? So someone blows themselves up. Could you imagine the, the mind it takes to get yourself worked up so, so worked up? that you walk into a crowded area and blow yourself up. Humans, no? In America, they're making this big deal over a star. There's this guy, Donald Trump, and he put out an ad depicting with a star on it. And I looked at it and it's just a star. It's not really the star of David. And oh, they're making such a big deal out of it. This week, one thing that made me sigh was this week is National Fishing Week. How dumb are we, no? We celebrate a whole week of terrorizing fairly innocent animals. Sure, fish are probably killers, you could argue. Mostly they kill each other, right? Fish even eat their babies, so they're not exactly innocent. But nobody deserves having a hook stuck in their mouth, ripped out of their environment. Could you imagine you're walking down the street and suddenly, oh, there's this hot dog sitting there or something and you pick it up start chewing on it and suddenly you're yanked up into the cosmos with this hook puncturing your, your cheek and then you have your head cut off hmm. I don't know it's just viciously cruel viciously cruel to the poor fish Anyway, that's enough. The news isn't that interesting. It's probably pretty depressing if you spend too much time on it. So what should we spend time on? The Buddha talks about four times. He may 
Chattaru me bhikkhuve kala. And this, the quote that we have is is uh, a very brief quote that doesn't really explain anything. What does he mean by the four times? What are these four things? What, what about them? Why are they right? And what is good about them? But luckily, we have two suttas. This is the way of the Tvitika. Um, You'll often have one very short sutta. And then the next one right after it, helpfully, is where the Buddha actually expounded, expanded upon it. He didn't expand too much upon these 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 uh, items, the four times, but expanded upon why he was referring to them as being the four times. Chattaro me bhikkave kahalat katame chattaro. What four times? Kalena dhammasavanang. Listening to the dhamma. Time, timely listening of the dhamma, listening to the dhamma. Kalena dhamma sagacha, timely, uh, timely discussing the dhamma. So asking questions. So Kalena samasana, and I'm told this one should actually be samatha. Samatho, yeah. Depends which edition of the Tipitaka. So we'll go with that. We'll say timely tranquility. And kalena vipassana, timely insight. That's it for the first one. But then, if you skip ahead to the sutta that comes after it, it talks about what do we mean by this? What does this mean? So let's go into the English translation. Uh-oh. Lost it. Bhikkhus, these four times rightly developed and coordinated gradually culminate in the destruction of the taints. Uh, still kind of an odd phrasing in English because these aren't times, these are things done. Kalena. Kalena. Kala means time. So Kalena means by time. By time understood to mean at the right time or from time to time timely so by engaging in these from time to time they lead to the destruction of the asava. The asava, of course, are the the corruptions in the mind. Kama asava, bhava asava, aminza asava. Of sensuality, of ignorance, of desire to become. You know, this becoming, wanting the ambitions. You know, that kind of thing. And it gives these four. So what four things should we do from time to time that will lead us to destroy the taints? We should listen to the Dhamma from time to time. Don't forget. Don't forget from time to time to pull out the old recordings of teachers and pull out the books written recording the Buddha's teaching and study the Dhamma. 
Kalena Dhammasaga Cha. So not enough to read, but also to discuss, to ask questions and to refine your understanding of the Dhamma. Kalena Samatho. Samasana means, means, uh, Samasana, right? Means uh, mastery. But uh, if we go with Samatho, Samatho is the translation. Means tranquility. And it goes well with Vipassana, so we can do that. Uh, so from time to time, cultivating tranquility through the practice of Samatha Bhavana. Mindfulness of the Buddha, mindfulness of breathing, metta and so on, calming the mind. And from time to time, vipassana, kalena vipassana, vipassana. Cultivating insight regularly, if you want to. Maybe the best way to translate this is regularly. And he uses, he uses the word coordinated, which is interesting. Anupariyamana. <laughs> Keep on rolling. I don't know. I think he's extrapolating a little bit. Doesn't really mean coordinating. It means uh, keeping up, doing continually doing, regularly doing. And then he says something, what's interesting about the second one, is then he says something which is actually, I think, a fairly common uh, simile that the Buddha uses. He says, just as when it is raining, the rain pours down in thick droplets on a mountain top. So these four are like mountain tops. You do them, and you keep doing them, like the rain pouring down on the mountaintop. And so you, see, you look at the mountaintop and you see the mountaintop is getting wet. And you think, well, okay, that's, that's the effect. And that's sometimes how we look at our practice or the things that we do. You listen to the Dhamma and you think, oh, wow, I learned some Dhamma. Well, that's the result of that. And you think, you know, you talk about the Dhamma. Okay, well, we've talked about the Dhamma. That's the result. And you think about when you practice meditation. Okay, I practiced meditation, that did something, and that's that. But there's more. The water flows down along the slope and fills the clefts, gullies, and creeks. These becoming full, fill up the pools. These becoming full, fill up the lakes. These becoming full, fill up the stream. These becoming full, fill up the rivers. And these, becoming full, fill up the great ocean. So too, these four times rightly developed and coordinated gradually culminate in the destruction of the taints. So this means is there's, there is a fallout. You continue, continue to practice and the rain continues to fall. And there are lasting and profound effects as a result of doing the, doing things regularly, doing good things regularly, drop by drop, the Buddhist, bit by bit, tokang, tokang. The same goes with evil. You do evil, you don't see the real effects immediately. 
but eventually they build up and they change who you are and they change your life. So that's the quote for today. Have anybody? Last night we had a question that someone tried to sneak in and I was gone already. So this person who tries to develop help develop electronics which will benefit humanity however is overwhelmed by the stress and competition within the field and afraid that his morals his or her morals will be crushed by envy and even greed to the point that i'm a worse version of myself compared to when i was born is this likely to happen hmm yeah i can't comment on whether that's likely to happen is it a valid concern it's easy to get burnt out. This is why actions are always, always uh, inferior to intentions, inferior to the state of mind or the quality of the mind behind them. It's not so much about what you do, but about your mind state when you're doing it. Or more, or maybe more accurately. Your mind state is more important because it informs what you do and it affects what you do and it changes what you decide to do. Not only how you do it, but it might change your goals. Are unpleasant, pleasant memories gamma vipaka or are they simply the working of jitta niyama? Sankha, your questions I have to criticize because they're not, they, they don't seem all that practical. They're very difficult and I'm, I'm happy for the challenge, but I don't understand what the benefit of getting the answer to that is. Besides assuaging your doubt temporarily, only to rear its ugly head the next day. Or maybe you just like to challenge me, which is good. But um, honestly, I think I'm going to have to start calling you out on it and saying, let's focus on practical questions. You can explain to me why that's an important practical question. Or maybe to explain it in a way that makes it more practical. Also in a way that most people here can understand it, because you and I are probably the only ones who understand what the heck you're talking about. Are the teachings of the Dhamma from Prince Siddhartha? Well, he wasn't a prince anymore. He was uh, a Buddha. He was an ascetic. But it's the same person. But not the guy in the book, Siddhartha. Siddhartha is a book based on the Buddhist life, but it's more Hindu than Buddhist, really. Is it useful to share merit with hungry ghosts, even if one is not sure they exist? And so how does one share merit? Well, if you're not sure something exists, there's an element of, probably you could argue there's an element of, of, of well, it's lacking wisdom. It's probably inferior. It's arguably, I mean, maybe that's too harsh. There's that, there's that question you know, of doing something without any evidence. So, you, But I think you could argue that we have the evidence of other people who have said that these beings exist. And so a sort of a, 
uh, appreciation of their of their authority on that appreciation you you accept and you do because for the most part it's really not about the results it's about your intentions what are your intentions with your actions And, and not only intentions, but what is your, more, more clearly, what is your mind state when you do something? Are you doing something with anger? Well, that's not good. You're doing something out of greed? Well, that's not good. You're doing something really thinking that there's beings there. Uh, if it's your thought that they exist and you do things for them, like kids who look after their imaginary friends or their, look after their, their stuffed animals, there's some element of delusion there for sure, but there's also quite a bit of goodness in the sense of cultivating wholesome mind states. And you could probably argue that even if you were acting, but acting in such a way, yeah, I don't know about that. I think you have to be careful of the delusion aspect. With hungry ghosts, we have a sense that they do exist. We, so we we give kind of, and even and it's not even so much a matter of if they exist; it's a matter of whether they're there, because they may be hanging around, because there may be hungry ghosts hanging around. We always remember them and make them feel good by sharing the merit with them, just in case they're hanging around. Looking at Mahasi Sayadaw's teachings and seeing that there is complete dissolution of psychophysical phenomena seems counterintuitive. It doesn't seem to me that anything disappears without a trace. Is that something to look for? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's hard for Westerners. We think too much. It's hard for us to imagine such a thing because science has told us it's not like that. You have to change the way you look at reality. Reality is not things. It's not atoms. It's not uh, entities. Reality is experiences. And you'll see these experiences arising and ceasing every moment. But in order to see that, you really have to get into meditation. You really have to get into this paradigm of looking at the world from the point of view of momentary experiences without any frame of reference from even that you know the room is around you. Because eventually when you meditate, you even forget that you're in this room and you don't remember which way you're sitting. The room disappears. The room didn't exist in the first place. It's just a concept. I'm aware, I perform as a bass player. I try to be mindful, but I'm aware that musical performances and dancing are often regarded as unwholesome. Shall I press on with my attempt to be mindful during this, or is it best to try and move away from this profession? I did. I was a guitarist and a musician and heavily into classical music and, sorry, classic rock music and, and classical music. Um, 
I gave up all my gave away all my CDs. Gave away my twelve hundred dollar nineteen seventy six Les Paul Deluxe. That was hard. But not really, I suppose, because I wasn't ever in doubt. It was anguish, you know, but it was a, it was a good one. It was a, it was a strength, you know, to get rid of it, to, to say to myself, I don't need this anymore. I don't need this crutch anymore. To, to, to be clear in the mind that, you know, this is something I, I, I like, something I want to do. But that doesn't make me happy. That one thing has never helped me. It's never made me a happier person. It hasn't actually made my life better. It hasn't actually made me more at peace with myself, more content. It's in fact made me more addicted to this, addicted to things, addicted to wanting. You don't have to give up music to be a Buddhist or to even be a Buddhist meditator, but uh, Certainly it helps. The more of these things you can give up, the more clear your mind is, the more content you'll be, the more at peace with yourself you'll be. You'll go through a period of, of uh, withdrawal and you'll experience withdrawal consistently again and again because you're so accustomed to it. It's so much a part of who you are. But, you know, music is such a silly thing. I had this argument recently with my brother when he came home. And he was, they were arguing how, how meditation is actually healthy. My sister got into it as well. She, she, she's read these studies about how music, but it's so silly because music is such a silly thing. It's, it's, it's a manipulation. It's one of these things where we just, we, we manipulate. It's like food. It's like you decorate this food out on the plate. You're, you're, it's not scientific in any way, shape, or form. To say that music is healthy is really just to say that manipulating the mind into evincing certain emotions is healthy for the body, I guess, you know, and is a way of, of relaxing yeah, temporarily, just as a massage is, you know. But, um, you know, if, if that was the argument we we're going to make, then we should get scientific about it. We should forget about music, which is all just subjective. And, and, and you know, the thing about subjective, about subjective things like music is that you don't really know which is, being, which is healthier, you know. And you're not really concerned with which is healthier. You're much more concerned with taste and preference and, and very much about ego, you know. Classical musicians are, are egotistical about their classical music. Any kind of, any, any genre of music has its snobs and its aficionados and so on. It's all about us. It's all about us much more than music. Yes, I relate to this. You know, I hear it. It's kind of thing. It's cultivating an identity based on the music. So, we want to get scientific about the good of music. We want to argue the good of it. Then we should forget about music and just concentrate. Like these binaural beats, have you heard about? I haven't studied it too much, but people keep asking me about it. Somehow this is helpful for the mind. It's peaceful. None of it really works. It can't really work because it's nothing to do, nothing to do with wisdom, nothing to do with knowledge, insight. 
It's all artificial. Yeah, it makes you feel good. Yeah, it might be healthy for a temporary. It doesn't fix the problem. This is what the Buddha found. He found that you have to go deeper. That wisdom, it's, what's unique about Buddhism is that your own wisdom and your own understanding is what sets you free. Nothing else. How do we know the mind is not just the brain? Maybe the brain can be aware of itself. The brain doesn't exist. It has to be the other way around because the brain is just a concept. Yeah, I get in trouble when I say that. Sounds like it sounds like some religious idiot. Ah, it's such a long argument, but there's no reason to think that the brain exists. It's a paradigm that works practically but not in ultimate reality the brain doesn't exist what is the brain but cells which are made up of ad molecules which are made up of atoms which are made up of subatomic particles which are made out of nobody knows what quantum fields is the latest thing whatever the heck that means quantum field i guess just means fields of probability you know, what have we come down to? What do these things, what, what really exist? The brain isn't, the brain isn't thinking. When we talk about the brain, we mean a bunch of cells that, you know, a lot of fat and protein and blood. None of these things are, are aware. None of these things even exist. They're a part of the conceptual framework of the universe. How advantageous is it to be ordained at a young age? These days, many like to criticize ordaining kids. Yeah, well, I mean, the kids don't want to ordain usually, or they ordain for very much the wrong reasons. But then I think Nagasena ordained for the wrong reasons, so he became an arahant. So it's not always wrong. I'd say there's probably too much emphasis on it. I didn't know that that was a thing in Sri Lanka, but in... In Thailand, it's a big thing. And it's a huge problem, both in Sri Lanka and Thailand, for the abuse, sexual abuse even. You know, do you think that there's a scandal in the Catholic Church? Heck, someone should investigate the scandal in Buddhism. Someone should open it up. Someone, you know, why am I not doing it right? Why are we not exposing the, the horrible atrocities that are being committed by Buddhist monks every day? quote-unquote Buddhist monks, you know, they're not real monks. It's happening. You want to get out, outraged? Well, that's the thing is Buddhists don't get outraged. But it's not something we should keep quiet about. It's happening. I don't have proof. I actually don't know that it's happening, but I've heard a lot of circumstantial evidence to suggest that it is happening. A lot. I guess that's the thing, is without any evidence, what do you do? And then they're getting all sorts of duplicates here. I don't talk about my own state of mind. It's just not appropriate for monks to do. It just gets, talking about yourself, my teacher said a bell doesn't ring itself. It's kind of a, I don't know, it just doesn't feel right. Confident in saying that I don't talk about myself. 
I recall reading a teaching about when you conquer an enemy, it just leads to more hate from the conquered. I think that's the Dhammapada. Maybe the Jataka. Probably both. And this seems to be what is happening with the extremists today. Lose physical ground, blow up more people. What is a Buddhist approach to minimizing this kind of hate? Well, meditate. So my teacher said, he said, these people had meditated, they wouldn't have flown planes into the, into the towers. I was meditating, I was doing a meditation course when when the, uh, the World Trade Towers came down. And we went to see our teacher and told him and that's what he said. And that's, uh, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, if you want to go beyond meditation, there's really no, there's nothing else really, you know. The, you, 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 I guess you talk about how meditators approach these people, approach other religious people. You know, everyone practices meditation. At McMaster University, I've had actual Muslims come and meditate with me. Women wearing this hijab, niqab, I don't remember what they're called. Uh, hijab, I think it's called. Um, Sikhs, I had two Sikh guys that actually had the daggers come and sit and meditate with me. Uh, a lot of people, Asian people, Western people, some of the uh, some of the catering crew who work at the at the various restaurants at the university came to visit. Uh, lots of different people. So if we can get people to come and meditate, you know, I even had one one Muslim guy come and sit with me and clearly felt a bit threatened by me in the sense not not maybe not threatened but felt it felt that I was a bit of a, a bit of a threat in the sense that I think he maybe had heard that some of the Muslim women were coming and meditating with me. And so he was trying to figure out, trying to get clear in his mind how I was wrong to do what I was doing. I mean, people do this, you know, they know you're wrong. So they come and they try to, you know, just reaffirm that for themselves by asking questions and until they get a sense that, yeah, this guy really is wrong. I don't know what I don't know if he got that in the end, but you know, the thing is, what we can do is we can work towards people becoming more meditative. That's really the answer to all these things. We don't have to. I was thinking about uh, the revolution, you know, in America and this Bernie Sanders and so on. He's too angry. I think that's a clear criticism I would have. I and mean, we've talked about this. And a lot of people in America are, are angry. You have to accept that there's going to be people in power who are, are going to control things and manipulate things. But the question is whether they're doing it out of, for good intentions or for bad intentions. The only way you get people with good intentions is if the society expects good intentions, if there is an atmosphere of good intentions. Like I was thinking about how much better off the U.S. is than some of these, like Saudi Arabia, or 
some other countries that are even worse, Iran, no, not Iran, yeah, Iran, where the governments are just terrible, North Korea, for example. And, uh, you know, the reason has got to be because of people's sense of, of, you know, what is good, what is right. People don't stand for certain things. It's not to say that America is a great place, but people don't stand for certain things. They know in, to some extent what's right and what's wrong, I think to a better extent than some of these Oh heck! I mean, I, that's not true for some of these countries. People are just being oppressed, and but and it's it's terribly naive to say. But I think it is the way moving forward. I think eventually, God, maybe it's just naive to say. Because Buddhists did that in India. In India, the Buddhist monks were doing their thing, and they all got slaughtered. Right? I don't know. I think there's an argument to be made for purity. And that, that Buddhism was becoming very corrupt in India. And if it hadn't been corrupt, during the time when it wasn't corrupt, it actually did change the minds of the dictators. So Asoka was called Gala Asoka, which means black Asoka. He was, he was a brutal dictator who became a Buddhist and gave it all up. He even gave up eating meat or reduced eating meat because he didn't want to have animals killed. Some thoughts. When meditating, can we give detailed thoughts to increase the concentration instead of saying thoughts, thoughts, and dozing? Say, give detailed thoughts to increase the concentration. We're not trying to increase concentration. What you mean is to be able to control. That's really what you're saying, because you want to control things, as I understand it. Usually people who ask this are trying to gain control of a chaotic mind, and we don't want to do that. That's counterproductive. The idea is to learn to see that, yes, the mind is, is chaotic. The mind is un unpredictable. Why? So that you eventually let go of the mind. You stop trying to fix it. You stop trying to make it better. And you just let go to throw away the mind in the end. I feel that the meditation bleeds into the rest of my life. I'll be walking around and click back to my breath and at times be blissful. Is this normal? I like the question, is this normal, is really weird, you know? What does it mean normal? I guess the question is, am I going to go crazy? Is something going wrong? Is this a sign of good practice or bad practice? It's not really a sign of anything. I mean, it's a sign probably that you're cultivating certain states of tranquility that lead to, to bliss. Uh, it's probably a sign of uh, a sign of the wholesomeness of what you're doing. The result of wholesomeness is happiness, right? Is metta for a deceased, for the benefit of a deceased person beneficial? Yes, it's well, of course. It's beneficial to you, first of all. It's beneficial to all your 
relatives, it's beneficial to the world. Uh, it's beneficial to the deceased. It, it, first of all, you could argue it's beneficial in the sense that knowing that our relatives are going to do for us makes us happier when we die. When we pass away, knowing that our relatives do these things for us gives us some sense of peace. You know, you're, you're extending their life and their legacy by doing things in their name. But uh, as we said, if they're hanging around after they die, then they might even actually see you doing these good things, which makes them feel happy. If they don't, apparently it's the it's the there are certain angels that go around telling other angels that their relatives have done things in their name. So that apparently is a thing as well. Anyway, it makes them feel happy. It has the potential to make them feel happy. Okay, we're all caught up. I'm going to stop there. Save your questions for tomorrow if you got more. Or post them and I'll try to get back to you tomorrow. That's all for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night.